0: My wife and I lived for 21 years in Germany. We spent a lot of time in other countries while we were there, and part of my role at Trinity allows me to be spending uh, six to seven weeks a year doing international work. So I've since been to over 40
1: different countries. Today's guest on Entrust Equipping Leaders is Dr. Craig Ott of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Today's topic is contextualizing ourselves as we serve in new cultures so that we can do excellent kingdom work for God's glory. Let's join our host, Lori Lind and Dr. Ott.
2: Well, welcome to Entrust Equipping Leaders, and I'm really happy to have the guest I have today who I've known a bit in the past and nice to get reacquainted again, Dr. Craig Ott. Um, Dr. Ott, well, what should I call you, sir?
0: Well, we're old friends, uh, you can call me Crick.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, our topic today is about contextualization somewhat or developing intercultural competency, which was the title of the article we published on our website, thanks to you, which was, in fact, an excerpt from your book, Teaching and Learning Across Cultures. So mostly what we're talking about is is coming from that book. But also, I would guess from your own personal experience, what have you experienced? Where have you lived and what have been your experiences cross-culturally?
0: Yeah. So as far as living internationally, uh, my wife and I lived for 21 years in Germany. That's really the only other place we've lived for an extended period of time outside of the U.S. Um, Now, We spent a lot of time in other countries while we were there. And part of my role at Trinity allows me to be spending uh, six to seven weeks a year doing international work. So I've since been to over 40 different countries doing teaching or consulting or um, some kind of ministry on the ground. Um, Usually those kinds of assignments are only for a week or two. Uh, So that's, that's kind of my experience.
2: And I'm just thinking, we're going to be talking about how we can become more sensitive and how we can even sort of um, adjust our own behaviors and responses in a new culture. Do you? This is off the cuff, but do you have a story from your early days overseas where maybe you committed a cultural faux pas?
0: Oh, there's a, plenty of them, <laughs> <laughs> particularly our early years in Germany. You know, when you're You're actually living in the country not just visiting for a short period um you're you're trying to do life a lot more and oh there's there's little things like uh oh the way you might uh, do your shopping and uh pick the fruit with your own hands and you're not supposed to use your hands you're supposed to ask somebody to to do it for you um Or uh, a big thing in in many countries, particularly in Asia, you don't use your left hand for anything uh, except one thing. And (laughs) uh, I happen to be left handed. Now, usually uh, they will recognize, well, you know, you're a foreigner or whatever, but it still is probably a little uncomfortable for them when I uh, will inadvertently use my left hand for all kinds of things that I shouldn't be doing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine I had several uh, faux pas myself living overseas uh, yeah it certainly wakes you up to your own culture which is something that you said that really struck me in your article that culture is something like water we're almost not aware of of the environment that is our own culture because it's just what we're used to so if we're not even aware of like our own culture if I'm not aware of what makes me how I respond to life because it's just part of my whole life How can I even learn about it or even begin to discover what what the water is like that I swim in?
0: Well, you really don't until you jump out of the aquarium (laughs) (laughs) and then you find out, oh, there actually is another world out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so that's usually the best way to begin to find out, you know, what your own culture is about is by being either around other people or ideally to actually go live somewhere else for a while. Um, and then you begin to notice just uh, how uh, many things that you just thought are, are normal um, are not for other people normal at all. So really just that personal exposure is is kind of a starting point.
2: So would you say it's almost not possible to discover my own culture while still living in my own culture?
0: Well, except for the fact that if your culture is in the United States, then your culture is a pretty mixed culture. Um, you know, the United States is, is a very, very diverse country and uh, the number of first-generation immigrants uh, that we are experiencing now with immigration and so on is the highest it's been for a century, really. It's, it's, and so we are encountering people from other cultures. Uh, regularly just in the supermarket or going about daily life in the United States. So it's there, but for most many of us, it's sort of our own turf. And so we're not paying as close of attention to it, uh, or it's not really essential for us to get by. Whereas when you actually live somewhere else, well, then it becomes essential that you, you are alert to those cultural differences.
2: One thing you said in your article, you said that learning to navigate life in another culture Means resisting our intuitions and restraining, oh actually, and retraining our natural reflexes. How on earth does a person resist their own intuition or retrain their own natural reflexes?
0: Well, sometimes uh it's sort of like putting your hand on a hot stove. Uh <laughs> you you get burned. Uh so you you make a mistake, and then it was a painful mistake, or it, it hurt a relationship, and then you go, oh, okay, I, I need to retrain myself not to respond that way. Typical thing would be how, how you deal with a conflict situation in a relationship uh, or decision-making process, and uh, you've just sort of moved along in the way you always thought the normal way to make decisions was, and you didn't realize it, but you were offending people. Well you know that usually will end up having pretty negative effect on yourself and your relationships so some of it is just going to be the negative consequences that will teach you but just being self aware and in, insane and and being a good observer and then just trying to catch yourself um where you're having sort of a immediate intuitive response to a situation uh but some of it we just we're just not aware of until we make the mistake Or somebody else tells us.
2: Uh, Yeah, that's maybe a, a more gentle way to find some of that out. In your article, you just basically overall, you talked about intercultural competency. So what does that actually mean?
0: So basically, we're talking about the ability to relate to people who are from a different culture than your own, whether you're living in that other culture or just a next door neighbor. But basically, the ability to relate to other people well from another country culture to communicate clearly, to to be able to get your thoughts across in a way that are not offensive. It's the ability to be able to accomplish tasks, especially if you're where the the dominant environment is not your culture. How do I get things done here? Um, How do I influence people? How do I build relationships and so on? So it's basically just that ability not to merely survive, So I know how to shop. I know how to basically get by, but how to thrive, not just surviving, but thriving. So I actually have rewarding relationships. I actually am effective in getting things done here. So that's what we're talking about with intercultural competency.
2: And so when we get to intercultural competency, you described some aspects, self-awareness, attitude and experience. Maybe you could describe each of those a little bit and practical ways that we can work toward developing each of those things.
0: Yeah, and they're all kind of interrelated, but self-awareness just starts out with how, you know, what do I understand even about my own culture? Um, Of course, if you're that fish that's wet, then that's a little hard to answer. Um, But uh, becoming just aware a little bit more of how I'm reacting, to people from another culture. Uh, A lot of times that may be frustration um, or even anger um, or bewilderment. Sometimes it's joy, you go, wow, this is really cool. But just becoming aware of even your emotional responses um, and how, uh, you know, this is what we talk about, culture shock sometimes, where you've been living in another culture for a while and and then it just doesn't feel right, you get homesick. Just becoming aware of all these emotions and responses as part of it. And then you become more self-aware of what my values are, what's important to me, and what maybe the host culture, what's important to those people, or even my next door neighbor. Um, So that would be sort of the self-awareness. Then, of course, the attitude is, I'm going to have to enter this other culture, not with a sense, I'm always right, America's always best, or whatever your home country is, but I'm going to be a learner here. I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt that when they do something that seems offensive to me, maybe for them, that's the the kind thing to do. It just didn't seem like it to me. And so I give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm teachable, I'm open. I realize different is not always bad. Different is just different. Um, And sometimes there's good reasons why people do things differently. And the more I can kind of have that attitude of openness, uh, then the more I'm going to patiently try and really understand what's going on. I don't have to agree with everything, of course, um, but, uh, but I, I at least try and understand people. So that's that attitude of, of learning and humility. And then for experience, it's really getting out of your bubble. Um, and there's a real temptation, especially if you're living overseas, to stay where it's comfortable. So you're sort of hanging out with other expats, uh, other people who are like you, and you talk about how, how cool life in America was and all those favorite foods you can't get. And you know, that that's fine, but if you stay in those kind of bubbles, you're not gonna develop the, that competency to be able to go out and relate to the people of the general culture. And that same tendency to want to withdraw can also be with my next door neighbor, who is maybe a first generation immigrant, their English is not great. And I'm a little nervous, you know, how do I relate to these people, what I'm gonna talk about. And so even there, just having the experience of sort of overcoming my inhibitions a little bit, reaching out, um, most people are a lot friendlier than we give them credit for. Um, and uh, so so that's kind of just getting the experience. and. and I compare it sometimes to playing a game. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if you learn a new game, card game, a board game, you know, there's the rules, but then there's how you really play the game, right? The strategy <laughs> of how you really win. And what are you going to do? You're going to lose the first few times if it's, you know, if it's a game that's not just total chance. You know, it takes a while. You learn how to play the game. And that's a little bit like culture. It's a learning a new game. There's new rules out there. And uh, you're going to make mistakes, you're not always going to win, but if you stay with it, be patient, you're going to do well. Um, And just to give a sort of a practical example of this, one thing that really irks a lot of Americans or a lot of Westerners is punctuality issues. Mm -hmm. And in many parts of the world, uh, people do not put the same value on arriving at the clock a minute or or that a event was designated. They don't consider that being late necessarily. but, But our understanding of lateness is not only a matter is 10 minutes late, is a half hour late, but there's a deeper value. So if I'm just going on the emotions, what am I doing? Somebody's always coming late to the meeting. I'm saying, hey, you're wasting my time. You're not being respectful of me and my time. Um, And so I, I put a motive on that. I put a value judgment on that. Well, sometimes in certain cultures, if you show up for a meeting on time, that means that person is treating it as a business meeting. If you're a friend, you show up late because we're friends. So a person showing up late could actually be a positive sign in that person's way of looking at things. Now, I'm going to have to be teachable. I may still not like it, but I at least understand it. And guess what? I might just learn that sometimes slowing down and taking your time and not being so uptight and not letting the clock rule my life, maybe that's not always a bad thing. And that's how we become enriched and we actually can grow through these cross-cultural encounters. And that's where we can really be enriched as people through these encounters. So it's not just a matter of, sort of getting along. But how can I become a better person, a more balanced person, maybe? Not that I do everything the other people do, but I uh, look at myself differently.
2: And that makes me think of something, you know, how would I understand, like, say someone is always coming late to a class or a Bible study or something, how would I find out that to them that's that's a sign of warmth and friendship and comfort, especially if that's the culture they swim in and they don't even really know why they come late.
0: Yes, right. And if see and here's where the conflicts get get complicated because I find myself getting sort of frustrated and kind of irritated with this person and they don't have a clue why. And they just think I'm an irritable person. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do usually when you enter a new culture, especially if you're going to be there for a while, you need a cultural insider. So if I go to Mexico, it's going to be a Mexican, a cultural insider who can help me out. And I have to give them permission. I say, you know what? I'm like a little child here. I don't know how to do things. I don't know what counts as late and what's not and etc. cetera. Please help me. I'm at your mercy. I need somebody to tell me when I'm doing something that's really offensive, but I don't know it. I'm using my mm-hmm. left hand for all kinds of things, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so will you please coach me on this? Mm-hmm. Now, in a lot of cultures, they will not want to correct you. Mm-hmm. They will not want to say something negative. So you really have to give them a lot of permission. So that's usually one of the most important things is to get really a trusted insider and to, to just make yourself fall in the room and say, please, please, tell me uh, and then when you encounter something you don't understand you can go to that person and say hey you know I observed this the other day and I didn't understand why why it happened this way um and and that person kind of kind of explained to you what was going on um so having a couple of good cultural insiders like that is really a key mm-hmm.
2: I like that See, a lot. our
0: tendency <laughs> pardon me our tendency is to go to the other expats. And you go to the other expat and say, gosh, people here are always late. And and the other expat says, yeah, boy, I think that's terrible. That frustrates me. You don't always get the answer that's going to be helpful.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes, true. The insider (laughs) and the insider might be also need to be fairly self-aware to start thinking, yeah, why is it that everybody around that I've grown up with, we two o'clock means 2.15 to us or something? may not know why, but maybe they'll do some discovering as well along the way. Um, In terms of all that, too, you know, we as we're entering another culture and we want to fit in with thoughts and behaviors and responses and handling things. And yet, what if what if some of those things are what we really understand to not be biblical things that that are part of the culture that you're in, but they really aren't quite right in, in your understanding of the Bible, um, how do you how do we handle that kind of a thing?
0: You're right. and we have to realize that every culture has the beautiful and the positive and every culture has the ugly and the negative. We are in a fallen world and so whether it's American culture or some other culture, there's always going to be some good there. There's always going to be some some bad from God's perspective. Well, of course, we want to stay as close to the Scripture as possible. Most people do not just set out to do evil things. But there's usually some kind of a half-truth in there that makes it plausible. So so we want to go back to Scripture. And, and the way that I think the best way, especially if I'm an outsider, to deal with these things, and I'd be very practical here, this is what I've done— um, let's take cohabitation, fornication, if you will. Um, this is just considered normal in many parts of the world. In the United States, it's considered pretty normal. I've met people who said, why would you ever get married without first having lived together and, and had sexual relations? That would be unwise to do. not do that. So that's considered just normal. So what's the approach you take? I, th- I think, biblically speaking, it is sinful, But instead of me just sort of coming in and saying, uh, okay, listen, that's not what God wants, I like to pray for that couple, let's say. And what I've done is I've given them some Bible passage to read, and I say, will you read these passages? Will you pray about them What God, you know, what you think God is telling you here? And I actually have had it happen where I went for a follow-up visit after that, and they said, "Does this say what I think it says? Because we probably ought to get married if it's saying what we think it says. <laughs> uh-huh. And I said, well, if that's what God's telling you, you better do it. Uh, so mm-hmm. you're sensing this is what God wants and not what Craig Ott wants. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real temptation for us as cultural outsiders to come in and be quickly critical. And many of these things are, are worthy of critique. Mm-hmm. But it's important for people to sense this is what God wants, not what the outsider wants. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Holy Spirit is convicting my heart about the right thing to do.
2: Mm. Yeah, take it to Scripture and let the God's Word and the Holy Spirit speak into those things. That That's good. Yeah, yeah
0: and there's no guarantee just as in our own lives that we will always obey. No. But, but this is, uh, I think, the better starting point.
2: Speaking of cultures... Um, A lot of what Entrust has is coming into a new environment, networking with people and finding out what are the gaps in leadership training here. And then how can we come alongside you and develop a system that works for your people in your culture well to train and equip men and women to be pastors or to lead in the local church in some way and and, um, seeking to keep it culturally relevant, the whole system from the beginning. At the same time, entrust places a high value on small groups and kind of facilitated learning, question-based learning. So um, in some cultures, some of that concept, we have introduced it. And in certain cultures that are very authoritarian, where the teacher just talks and the students listen and it's rote and you spit it back out on a test, that's what they're kind of used to even in the church or a small group. And and what interest is bringing might seem countercultural, and yet it also seems to be biblical. Uh, small groups uh, asking questions: How do we determine, like, if our methodology even is is if offensive, or is it even sinful to bring a methodology that's? We, we think works really well, but it sure is different for that culture we're going to.
0: It's a great question because we do particularly, in, again, in America and Western culture, we put a lot of value on sort of uh, a more uh, discovery approach to learning where the more a person can kind of reach their own conclusions, uh, the more likely that is to really stick and, and be meaningful to them. And I think there is, uh, that's a legitimate pedagogical principle. At the same time, we may be downplaying the value of, of more didactic uh, kinds of instruction. So I think there's a place for both. But like you say, uh, many cultures, there's going to be a tendency to, to desire the one and, and not appreciate the other. So first of all, um, we have to be good listeners. Um and sometimes we're as Americans not very good listeners. We we want to be problem solvers, but we don't always listen very carefully to to what's going on, how people are perceiving what we're doing. Uh, so just to really enter in as a listener and making sure we're we're helping in a way that they feel is helpful. Um, sometimes national groups are, they're, they they want to have a good connection to an American because they think there'll be other advantages of than just the teaching. (laughs) so. uh, But in terms of actual teaching, you want to introduce those uh, alternative methods, we'll call the Methods they're not as familiar with that are a little strange to them. You want to introduce those with care. Um, Otherwise, they're just going to think, well, what kind of a teacher is this? He never gives us the answer when he knows the answer. What's his problem? Um, And uh, so you'll have to clarify, this is the reason why I'm going to be teaching in this manner. I believe that you have the Holy Spirit, and I believe that God can guide you in his truth, and um, that I'm not the only person here that that has the Spirit of God. I might have some factual information about, you know, Bible history or something that you don't have, but uh, so you have to make the reasoning of why you're approaching it in a certain way, Um, and you may have to do some compromises. Uh, I know there was one situation like that where the 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 students just said we will not give you our opinion. You, you're the teacher. You tell us. And he just went back and forth with them, and finally said, "I'll make a deal with you. You read the text. You tell me what you think uh, it means and how that would apply to your culture. And after you've done that, I'll tell you what I think." Uh, <laughs> so sometimes you have to be uh, negotiate a little bit, but um, make it make it plausible and don't overwhelm people. It is possible though, China is is known, Hong Kong, as uh, the kind of culture where people expect a lecture. But there's been for a couple of decades now, uh, approaches to more problem-based learning, which is not just tell the answer, but give students case case studies, problem solving assignments, where they actually learn that way. And they found out that once students kind of overcome the initial resistance to it, they actually love it. So, so there's good evidence that if we approach it well and don't just sort of have a shock effect where people don't understand what's going on, that, that we actually can help people develop uh, other ways of learning. Mm.
2: And then even pick up those ways of learning and pass them on to others as well?
0: Well, if they have found it to be really helpful and uh, then there's a much likely greater likelihood for them to use that when they teach. I mean, let's face it, we tend to teach the way we were taught. That's right. Those are our role models. Mm-hmm. Now, the expat teacher comes in, and it's a bit of an anomaly. If every other teacher they've had only lectures and, and that sort of thing, then while you're kind of the exotic one, they might tend not to want to imitate you as much because you're kind of exotic. Um, on the other hand, if you have a longer-standing relationship, if it's more than just coming in for a short week or two, um, then there's a greater likelihood uh, of them adopting some of those alternative teaching approaches.
2: what What are some passages in the Bible that speak to these concepts of developing intercultural competency?
0: Well, the probably the clearest one would be First Corinthians chapter nine starting at verse 19. This is where Paul, I won't read the whole thing, but Paul talks about, you know, becoming a Jew to the Jew, a Greek to the Greek. And the interesting thing he says is, I became like one under the law, though I myself not under the law, to reach those under the law. And then he says, uh, "I to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law. So what Paul is saying is, all of this was for the sake of winning others for the gospel. So he's willing to change his lifestyle but not compromise God's standard for him. So you have to have a conviction about really what God's standard for your own life is. And that's going to come from God's word. But at the same time, in all those other uh, negotiable uh, issues, he's willing to make sacrifice. It must have been revolting for him to eat pork or shellfish. He'd never eaten it. And it was always told that was bad for you. <laughs> and he, he did this. <laughs> yeah, And uh, he was willing to, to, to make some sacrifice to, to bend because it was for the sake of the gospel. And yet he knew his convictions where there were points he's not going to compromise. So I I think that's the clearest example. I mean there 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 are other ones that that uh, are not quite that that clear but but yes th- that's that's a good one.
2: So something about I've I've called it self contextualization but maybe that's not quite the right term but more developing intercultural competency is a very key part of our ministry in new cultures.
0: Well, that's actually, I actually use a phrase similar to that when I teach. We talk a lot about contextualizing our message. So how do I make the gospel clear that another person understands it? But I need to contextualize myself. And that's exactly what you just said. How's my lifestyle? How am I demonstrating love in their love language, as We like to say, Mm. how am I showing respect for them? How am I beautifying the gospel with my life? And that means I probably can't just do everything like I would in America. I'm going to have to make adjustments. So yes, we contextualize our own lives as well as the message.
2: Well, Dr. Craig Ott, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts about this and expanding on them. And do want to encourage our listeners to um, find his article on our website and 4org It's called Developing Intercultural Competency. It's an excerpt from the book, which is all explained there on the article. And so Dr. Odd, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom
0: today. Thanks for having me.
1: Challenging and encouraging thoughts today from Dr. Craig Ott. How much are we willing to bend, to be humble, in order to understand and enter into a new culture, to serve people in that culture? If you'd like to read more on this topic, you can consult Dr. Ott's article on our Entrust website or his book, Teaching and Learning Across Cultures. Find links to both in our show notes. Please take a moment to subscribe to this Entrust Equipping Leaders podcast. Next time, our guest is Jerry Wells of Entrust. He'll describe life and ministry in Romania and the things he learned about contextualizing himself as he served God there. See you then.